The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And this morning, uh, I decided that I would interrupt our study in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to talk to you on the subject of giving. And if you've attended Brian Baptist Church for any length of time, you know that I rarely speak on giving. And my lack of speaking on this subject might turn out to be... Um, one of my most serious failures as a pastor. This is an important topic. Most of you are aware that last year we fell seriously short in our budgeted giving. And in order for us not to seriously hamper the ministry uh, in this year, our church really has to be seriously challenged on this subject of giving to God. On Wednesday evening, we are going to meet together, and our church budget for 2013 will be presented. And this budget is going to require the cooperation of all the people of Berean Baptist Church. And quite frankly, there is enough income in our church, there is enough money in our church that if everybody gave what the Lord requires, we would have no trouble meeting this budget. Now, as an example... In the past year, last year, there were 12 people in our church that gave 50% of the money. Now, could I illustrate that for you for just a moment? If we took these two rows right here in the front and had 12 people sitting right here on these two rows, that would represent half of all the money that was given in the church last year. So you know what that means? It means that there are people in the church that are giving little to nothing at all. Some people, a large number of people, are not taking their responsibility of giving to the Lord. So I'm not, it's not my purpose today to shame anybody, but I do want to tell you that failure to give is a sin. If you fail to give what God requires, that is a sin, and God does not look kindly upon that. Now, there was a pastor that used to preach one stewardship sermon per year. And his sermon was always the same sermon. He preached from Acts chapter 5 and Ananias and Sapphira. Now, those of you that are familiar with that passage of Scripture, Ananias and Sapphira were two members of the Jerusalem church that had some serious inequities in their giving and uh, the things that they said and things that weren't quite right. And so this pastor would preach this sermon, and it had three points to it. His three points were, it is more blessed to give than to buy. It is more blessed to give than to lie. It is more blessed to give than to die. Now, my sermon might not be that explicit today, but I think it will be to the point. Maybe maybe we will get down and be very explicit. Um, so if you get convicted by this, don't be angry about it, because I'm preaching what the Bible says. And when I preach... I'm speaking on a subject, this subject of giving is one that's very near to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke 38 parables in the gospel, and 16 of those parables are directly related to money. And they're related to 
uh, it shows us that, that there's a direct connection between spiritual development and how much that we give to God. Now, on the other hand, if you don't give and you give less than you should and you're not convicted but why would I have to say this morning, then you really have a serious problem because if you can hear what's said today and understand what's being said today and you don't get convicted by the fact that you don't give if, in fact, you aren't a giver, then you need something more serious than giving because giving's not going to help you at all. You need to be saved. If it doesn't convict you to give to God what you're supposed to give, if that doesn't bother you, then you need to be saved. Now, I'm sure that there are people here that don't want to hear what I have to say this morning. Uh, Maybe some of you don't. And then I know there are others here that can't get enough of this subject. They would rather that I would speak more often on this. Uh, a few weeks ago, I stepped out into the, to the vestibule and I was talking to one of the members of the church and I said that I'm going to preach on giving. And this person said, let me talk about giving. Let, let me talk about what God has done for me through giving and what a blessing that it's been to me. At a later time, we might do that. We might have some of the members of the church just come up and give their testimony about what God has done for them because they gave what they were supposed to give. Now, I really want to speak to people this morning that have this excuse that say, I cannot afford to give. And I want to show you that you can't afford not to give. That there's nobody here, I think, that would cheat themselves. You wouldn't purposely do that. But in fact, that's what you do if you don't give to God. You are cheating yourself, and of course, more seriously, you are robbing God. We just read that in the book of Malachi chapter 3. So we open up the scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and the Apostle Paul is speaking on this subject, and he writes in 1 Corinthians 16, and you can just stay seated this morning because you might need to sit down for all of this. But he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. The Apostle Paul is talking to the churches about giving their offerings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us and this important subject that we have to talk about today. Open up our hearts to the truth of your word. Be with us, Lord, as I present this subject. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this is a letter. 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. This was a church that was consumed with many different problems. We, we went through 1 Corinthians several years ago. And when we were preaching through that, I pointed out the problems of the church. They, they had a problem with immaturity. They, they weren't where they should have been in their Christian lives just yet. They, they had the teaching of the Apostle Paul, but for various reasons, from different circumstances, they had not grown in the faith that they should have grown. So they had a problem with immaturity. They had a problem with immorality. This was a church that there was no holiness in it, that people were just doing terrible things, practicing terrible things, and Paul had to rebuke them for their immorality. They also had a problem with immortality. 
That is, they didn't understand about their own, uh, what would happen to them when they died. And they didn't understand about the resurrection and the importance of that and what God was going to do with them. So Paul wrote this letter to deal with those problems. Most of you are familiar with the previous chapter. I mean, this is the chapter of 1 Corinthians that I really don't have to explain too much to anybody because if I'm going to talk about this particular subject, this is where we would go. That 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the great resurrection chapter. And that's where the Apostle Paul uses as his main theme the necessity of Christ's resurrection. He said that if Christ is not raised, then we have no need to preach. He said if Christ is not raised, then we are false witnesses. If Christ is not raised, he said our faith is in vain. And he said if we have hope of Christ in this life only, then we are miserable. And then in the last part of that chapter, he talked about the resurrection. He talked about uh, our resurrection, rather. And he talked about how that our bodies will be changed. And that how we'll be given new bodies that are immortal. Bodies that are no longer subject to all of the sins and to decay. And he said that because of the resurrection, death is conquered. That our victory over death has been won by this marvelous truth that Christ died for us and then he arose from the dead. Now those are sublime thoughts. You can't think higher thoughts than those. And so when you read the 15th chapter with a prayerful heart, you soar with wings like eagles, just like the kids sang just a moment ago. These are, these are high thoughts. You think about the resurrection of Christ and your own resurrection and the glorious return of Christ. And Paul says in that chapter towards the end, Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, after that chapter, he comes to this 16th chapter and he brings us back down to earth again to talk about this mundane subject of giving. Now, I don't have any idea. Well, I have some idea what the Holy Spirit may have had in mind when he inspired Paul to write that way. I can imagine that this could be the reason that the teaching on the resurrection is put in such close proximity to what he has to say about giving because these people could not hear, they could not read what Paul says in chapter 15 and then refuse to do what he says in chapter 16. You see, if you love Christ... If you're thankful for what he did on the cross, if you want to praise and glorify God because of the gift of his only begotten son, how could you in that gratitude and humility in your heart refuse to give to the work of Christ and the preaching of Christ when he did so much for you? How could you not obey him and give him what he asked? Now let's take a few minutes to look at the truths that we can draw out of this passage God wants us to learn something from this, and I do hope that you take these lessons into your heart. And if you are a giver, and maybe everybody's here present today, maybe you're all givers, and you do give what God requires, then you'll be blessed by being reminded of this, I think. And then if you're not a giver, then I hope that your unbelieving and doubtful heart will be changed on this subject. God was a giver. And to be like him, you must be a giver. And folks, that's not optional Christianity. This is not something that you choose from the menu of what you'd like to do being a Christian. This is what God asks. It's what God even commands. So I have a simple outline for you today. Three 
simple lessons that I want you to learn from the passage. Now, the first one is the purpose of giving. Why should we give? Why should we give? I once heard the story of a preacher that was flying from New York to San Francisco and there was trouble on the plane. Pilot was having trouble with one of the engines and at 35,000 feet, it's not a good time to have trouble with your engines. So he was frantically trying to deal with that problem when one of the flight attendants stepped in and said, you know, you know sir, or Captain, th- there is a preacher on the plane. Maybe we ought to ask him to do something. And the pilot said, well, hurry back there and talk to him. We're in a mess. And so the flight attendant went back to the preacher's seat and she said, the pilot is in trouble and the plane is in trouble. We're all in trouble. Could you do something religious that will help us? And the man said, the preacher said, well, yes, I can. So he stood up and he said, let's take up an offering. Now, that is the way many times that giving is taught. That people are taught to give or they think that the time to give is when they are in trouble. When they realize that things have gone wrong, when there are problems in their lives, when they've been unfaithful in their giving, when they have a financial problem, when they have other troubles, then they think that if I'll just give a few dollars, if I'll bring my offering to the church then, then God is going to turn around things and God will fix all of my problems. And unfortunately, that is the way that giving is taught in many churches. That preachers talk about financial freedom. They talk about being blessed and having all that you want. And the way to do it is to start giving. Start giving your seed faith money and then watch what God will do. That if you're faithful to give to God, then he'll pour it all out on you. And so essentially, they don't give because they love God, but they give because they love self. It's their avenue to get something. So self is the concern. But I want you to notice in this passage that Paul does not say, give so you can get. Now the purpose here in their giving was because there were some very poor people that were in Jerusalem that needed their help. So Paul had approached the Galatian churches and he approached the Corinthian church and he talked to them about taking up an offering to help people that were in trouble in Jerusalem. And if you remember that story, the church was so poor there and the persecutions were so great. Christians had lost their jobs because of their faith. And so what they decided to do was to pool all of their resources, bring everything that they had to the church, and that's where we get that story in Acts 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. But they decided to bring all that they had, all the resources, put them together, and then everybody would take out of those resources and everybody would have what they needed. But the problem was the resources were gone. Everything had been used up. And so the people were suffering. And so Paul asked these churches to take up an offering to help those people. And he never said anything like this. He never said, if you give, your economy will change. If you give, then God will make sure that you improve, that your personal finances will improve. He never said that because that was not the purpose of their giving. That's not why Paul asked them to give. They didn't give to get something. So you need to remember that. We do not give to get. That's one of the lessons that God wants us to learn out of this. We don't give to get. The underlying purpose for giving is the love that God had for us and the willingness that he had to help us when we could not help ourselves. The Apostle John, who was the Apostle of Love, said, Beloved, let us love one another. 
For love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his own Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. When you give to your church, when you give to God, you are spreading the love of God. And that's because the church is God's chosen means to give his gospel to the world. So this is the real crux of the matter. Your tithes and offering, offerings allow the gospel to be preached. Your tithes and offerings keep a church on this corner in Roanoke Park... And we all know how much trouble it is to find a good church anywhere in this area. Your tithes and offerings keep this church operating and it sends out missionaries around the world. So you are spreading the love of Christ when you give to the Lord's work. And when you withhold your offerings, it sends the message that self is most important. Now, as I said before, you're you're actually cheating self when you don't give. But nevertheless, a church member that says, I'm not going to give, he says, I'm saved. And that's really all that counts. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. I'm not going to help others. But, but if I can get something, it's different. If it helps me, then I'll help you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But then you think about what Christ did on the cross. What did he get for helping you? Your salvation cost him everything. He was even forsaken by his heavenly father. You had nothing to give to him, and yet he gave everything for you. And so a Christian that will not give says, I am content to take from the church. I'm content to take from Christ. I want the love of the church. I want the love of Christ, but I don't love anyone else to be sure that they can be preached the gospel and they can have the same benefits of salvation that I have received from God. So we don't give to get. We give because of the love that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's primary in it all. Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love him enough to do what he says? Now we move on to number two, and that's the people that give. The people for giving. Who should give? Paul has a very simple answer for this as well. In verse 2 he says, Let every one of you lay by him in store. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Who should give? He says, every one of you. And some would say, well, that can't be right. God can't expect everybody to give. I'm on unemployment. I'm on a fixed income. I don't make as much as other people. So I can't give. I can't give what everybody else gives. Well, you're in luck. Did you know that? You're in luck. Because in verse number 25, there's an addendum to this. Paul said, bring your bank statement. Bring your P&L statement so I can see who the qualified givers are. Bring your tax returns and we'll see who's exempt. Wait a minute, there's no verse 25. Is that right? I mean, does God really expect that everybody should give? Let's turn for a moment to the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Now we have some people in church that are on fixed incomes and we know it's not very much. We have people that are barely making it by in this economy. We have people that each week and each month they bring of their 
meager paycheck. They bring their, out of their Social Security, they bring out of their retirement income, and they put a check into the offering. I've had some of our older people come to me with a gleam in their eye on the first Sunday of the month because they've just gotten their check that they've been waiting for, and they can't wait to bring in the part that belongs to God. They can't wait to give an offering, and they're so happy to be able to take that pink envelope and put that check into the offering plate. I've had people in our church, some of the older folks that are on those kinds of incomes, are so happy that they can give. And those are people that if I said to them, you know something, brother, you don't have to give. You you don't really need to bring anything. You don't need to give anything to church. You just don't have that much, so you don't need to give. Now, those people are ones that if I said that to them, it'd be just like I tore a hole in their heart because they look forward to it. The first day of the month or first Sunday of the month is their opportunity to show their love for Christ and to show their love for their church and to show their love for people who need to hear the gospel of Christ. I couldn't stop them from giving if I had to. Now we look at someone here in the scriptures that fought the same way. Mark 12 verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Now, I could make a point about this, about how much that the widow gave. And I could talk to you about the theological significance of the passage and what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples by pointing out this woman. But let's leave all of that for now. And let's just hone in on one thing here. What should we really be concentrating on right now? Well, I think it would be this, that Jesus did not stop her. He didn't meet her at the collection plate and say, you know something, you don't have very much. You don't really need to give. It's not your responsibility to give. Don't worry about it. And you know why Jesus didn't do that? It was because he honored the laws of God. Every person is commanded to give, and there was no one exempt from giving. From the richest to the poorest, they were all expected to give because that is obedience to God's command. Now pay attention to this simple principle that we learn from it, that you can choose to be obedient or disobedient in your giving. You have that choice to make, to be disobedient or obedient in your giving. And it comes down to this. You can have your opinion. You can think what you think. You can live and die by your opinion. But the simple truth is either you obey God or you don't. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll leave it to you to figure out the converse of that statement. No, I don't think I'll leave it to you. I think I'll tell you what it means because I don't want anybody to leave here today saying, well, I'm not sure what he was talking about. I'm not sure I get the point of that. So let me just tell you what Jesus meant by that. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, he's the God of the entire Bible, isn't he? And God commanded people to give. The Apostle Paul, in writing this passage in 1 Corinthians, commanded the church to give. He's speaking the words of God. And you are in disobedience to God's command if you don't give. And God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if you don't give, then what does that say? It says that you don't love God. 
Simple enough, isn't it? Not hard to figure out. And you ought not to protest about that. Don't tell me that you can love God in other ways. Take it up with him. He's the one that said this. Now, folks, there isn't a 25th verse in 1 Corinthians 16. There is no fine print. There, there are no disclaimers about giving. God was wise, and he's able to take care of the disparity between the rich and the poor. Verse number 2 says, Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. You know what that is? That is proportional giving. So God doesn't ask the person that's making $20,000 a year to give the same amount as somebody that makes 80000 a year. God wants everybody to give, but he didn't say that everybody has to give the same amount. But what he did say is that everybody must give the same percentage. Now, a little later on, maybe in another message, I'll talk more specifically about tithing. But the tithe is a percentage, and that's the place where God says to start your giving. Tithe is not really a difficult word. It just means 10%. That's what the word itself means. 10% of everything that you make belongs to God. So if you give 2% or 3% or 4%, then you've not obeyed God and you've not tithed. Don't talk about tithing if you're below that 10% because that's what tithing is. The poorest person was to give at least 10%. The richest person is to give at least 10%. And anything less of that is disobedience to God. And God wants perfect obedience. He never counts impartial obedience as being good enough. Now, there are some people that on Sunday, they drop $5, $10 into the offering plate, and they think that they have given. They haven't. You haven't. Unless your paycheck was $50 or $100. That doesn't work unless that's the amount that you got paid. So you've disobeyed God in the portion of what God says belongs to him. And if you don't give anything, then you've kept everything that belongs to God. So if you think, well, it really doesn't make a difference because what I give, the amount that I make, if I gave 10% of what I make, it would make no difference at all to the church. I mean, it's really just a small amount. The tithe is so small, it really doesn't matter. Well, think of who you're serving Think who God is. God doesn't care what the amount that you give is. Only in this regard, is it the right amount? And did you give for the right reasons? He uses that tithe to bless the entire church. Because that shows that the church loves him, that the people love him when they give what he said. And God can take the sum total of all the giving in the church, that all the members have given, and he can stretch that in ways beyond belief. You see, he blesses the whole church. He supplies everything that the church needs when his people are faithful. But when you withhold from him, the blessings stop. Do you know there's only one thing that stops God? Only one thing? He always works on the principle of faith. Do you know what stops God? Unbelief. If you don't give him what he asks, if you don't believe that God can do what he says, then God stops working. And God stops blessing the entire church when there are people in the church that do not give as they should. So God is all wise. He made giving proportional, so it's no more of a strain on one than it is the other. 
So if you give 10%, you have 90% to use for you. And that's consistent no matter how much money that you make. But let me show you something else. How do you really show your love for Christ? The way that you show it is when you make a sacrifice. Now, your tithe is not a sacrifice. Don't ever think that because you gave your tithe that you've sacrificed this great thing for God. God doesn't look at it this way. That already belongs to him. There's another piece of this. The tithe is the requirement. So we add another piece to the equation. What is giving? Well, tithing plus an offering equals giving. Tithing plus your offering is your giving. Now, tithing is a percentage, but the offering is variable. Tithing is the requirement, but the offering is the sacrifice. And you have to decide between you and God how much that you're willing to sacrifice. Obviously, there are some of you that make more money than other people. And so that 90% that you have left over gives you a lot of latitude for your giving. So do you think that God is pleased if you spend all of that on you? Here's the way it works. As incomes go up, tithing goes up, and offerings should also go up. So we increase our giving to God in proportion to the way that God blesses us. And that's exactly what Paul says in the passage. That's why God says, or Paul says, God has prospered you. So you keep this in mind, that God gives you more in order to give him more. And so if you keep up that thought and have that in your mind, you keep up that cycle, you are abundantly blessed. The church is blessed because you're tithing and you're giving the offering that God wants. Now, thirdly, we need to talk about the punctuality of giving. When are we to give? And we have an answer to that question here as well. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. That teaches that giving is to be regular. When God puts it into your hand, you're to put it into the church's hand. See, the tithe is not for you to save up. It's not for you to draw interest on. The tithe is not a slush fund for you to borrow from. God says that you're to tithe the first fruits. That means before anybody gets anything, God gets his tithe. Now, he talks about first fruits, and I realize we're not living in an agrarian economy. We're not living in a bartering economy, although some do barter. But that's not really the normal thing for our economy, so it would be kind of hard to obey this in the strictness of the letter. But God wants us to be very careful about this because it's too tempting and it's too easy to take the tithe and use it rather than give it to God. So if you get paid every two weeks then there ought to be a tithe and an offering given every two weeks. Now, my personal preference is that I, that I bring an offering, tithe and offering, every week. I get paid twice a month, but I break it out and I bring something every single week. If you're paid once a month, then on that next Sunday, after you get paid, after you get your check, you bring it in and you give that portion that God requires. Now, this is so important. Punctuality is important in your tithe. You know why? Because just like you have bills that have to be paid on time, so the church has bills that have to be paid on time. Now, I have seen churches that have a very poor testimony in this area. They have a poor testimony in their community because they don't pay their bills on time. That's not good for a church. And it's not good for you as an individual Christian. You need to pay your bills on time. 
And then let me add this as well. We're told when to give. And I didn't really split this out, but it could be another point on your outline. So take it down. We're also told where to give. The people met together and they gave their tithes and their offerings. They didn't send their money somewhere else. Your tithe does not belong to a TV ministry. You're not a member of the Church of Cyberspace. You're a member of the Berean Baptist Church and you give your tithes and your offerings to the local church because that's the only organization that's been authorized to receive those tithes. I don't care how much they beg on TV about sending their tithes to them. They are not authorized to receive the tithe. That belongs in God's church. We read it in Malachi chapter 3, bring ye the tithes into the storehouse. And that storehouse now is God's church. That's where it's supposed to be brought. And then let me add this to it as well, that you are not to designate your tithes. There are some people that say, oh, I don't like paying the electric bill. I don't like paying paying the mortgage of the church. I just want to give my money to the missionaries. And so what happens if everybody designates the tithe for missionaries? Well, soon there's no church here. We can't pay the bills. It's not up to you to designate money. Now, folks, we love missionaries, but the tithe goes into the church and it's to be used as a people of God see fit collectively. You don't know more than God. You don't know more than church. He has a way that he set this up to make his church operate in the way that it should. So you bring money for the missionaries. That's fine. Give them an offering, but also give an offering to and a tithe to your church because that's what you're supposed to do. Don't designate that money. So let's take this and kind of recycle it to where we were at the beginning of the message. Now, we on Wednesday night are going to meet to pass a budget. And on that budget will be all the different places that money has to go to operate the church. I said there'll be missionaries on there. The missionaries will get their money and people give extra money to them. That's fine. Give, Give an offering to the missionaries, but give your tithe and an offering to the church. So the reality of where we sit right now as a church is that some people give very little and some people give none at all. Now, when I say give very little, I'm not talking about that their, their tithe is a little amount. What I'm saying is they're not giving their tithe. They're, they're giving a different percentage than the tithe. That's not a tithe, as I said a moment ago. And people are suffering financially, I realize that, but there are a few people that are really just carrying all the burden of the church. Now, you may not realize this, but that section right over there of the church would more than take care of all the people that are giving faithfully and consistently and giving the amount of the tithe and the amount of the offerings that they should be giving. That one section over there will contain everybody that's doing that. That tells you we got a problem. Now, when I, when I was, before I became the pastor here, I, I worked for a church consulting firm, and one of my jobs was to analyze giving in churches. I went to churches, and I looked over their financials, and I looked and see, what about your giving? How can we improve that? And in one church, these are the statistics. 32% of the working people in the church gave nothing. 22% of the working people gave less than $10 per week. 25% of the working people gave 80% of the money. You know what that means? It means that there are a lot of people in the church that are UFOs. UFOs. Many people in the church are uncommitted, 
freeloading onlookers. Now, folks, that's a little bit rough, isn't it? A little bit rough. Can I show you what happens when you don't give? See our missionaries? What happens when you don't give? The witness is gone. The witness that's sent out around the world is gone because it takes money from missionaries. Can I show you something else about what happens when you don't give? Let me show you. Where's Pastor Smith? Has anybody seen Pastor Smith? Oh, I think he's at Safeway sacking groceries. <laughs> Folks, what I'd like you to do is turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I'm sorry, I didn't have time to study this passage this week. I'd like to tell you what this means, but I didn't really have time because I was busy at the store. You know, got to pay the bills, got to sack the groceries, you know. And you get the point that I'm trying to make? Do you see a problem here? Folks, all of us have responsibility. Somebody pays for the lights. We don't always turn on the heat far enough in advance for this reason that not everybody is supporting the church like they should. We don't have the money to do that. Somebody has to pay for these things. Somebody paid for the chairs that you're sitting in. Somebody pays the mortgage on this building. None of the stuff that we have here is free. We have to pay an electric bill just like you do. We have a mortgage to pay just like you do. None of that's free. It's not free at home. It's not free here. Somebody has to pay the pastor. You know, I I don't see the names of the people that give. I couldn't point to the people in this congregation and say, I know how much you give. I don't. I'm given a list of the amounts that are given that has no names on it. I just know the amounts that are given. The only person on that list I know is me because I know how much I give. And folks, there, I think there's a problem in the church when consistently, year after year, the pastor is at the top or next to the top in giving in the church. So don't think that I'm shirking my responsibility that the pastor's just talking about and he doesn't do what he says because if you want to talk to John, I'll give you the permission. He'll tell you not how much I give, but I'll give him the permission to say, yes, the pastor gives. I don't think he's going to deny that. So somebody's paying for all of this. And the people that are paying for it, folks, are in the minority. Some people are committed to this. They are take-charge Christians. They're going to do what's necessary, but most people aren't. And the people that do it are people that have problems. They're people that are suffering through the economy. They struggle with things too. Some of them would like to take more vacations than they do. They'd like to drive newer cars than they have. But their first priority is God's work. Their first priority is the church. Let me read another scripture to you, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. Now, do you see that the 
Bible that God commands the church to support the pastor? Let me ask you, how valuable is the teaching of the Word of God to you? What's the price tag that you put on the preaching from the pulpit? Maybe it's not very good. Maybe I'm getting an indication of what it's worth. Is it worth $5? Is it worth $10? Is it worth nothing at all? How much do you prosper through the preaching of God's Word? God expects everybody in the church to carry the load of supporting his work. So what do you do? Well, you start with this simple command. It's not hard to figure out. Give the tithe. 10% belongs to the Lord. And then you start to increase your giving into the area of generosity. You start to increase your giving. You see, when you give a gift to someone, the amount of that gift is more often than not directly related to the love and respect that you have for that person. Now, could we say the same about Christ? How much do you love and respect the Savior? How much do you love the souls of other people? And the answer to that question is often found in a pink envelope or what you take out of your pocket to put into the offering plate on the Lord's day. Now, as I said at the beginning, don't get mad. I'm telling you what the Word says. I doubt very seriously that there's a person in this auditorium today that would come up on this platform and say, Pastor Smith, I want to debate you on what you said. What you said's not the truth. You know why nobody's going to do that? Because you know it's the truth. It's in God's Word. You know it's the truth. You're not going to debate me on this. Now, I do know this, that people that give never regret it. In more than 40 years of church ministry, I've never heard one person say, I wish I had back the money that I gave to God. I wish I had that to use on myself. Because those that give and give and give and give, they do it and they are enthusiastic about it and you can't tell them not to give because they enjoy the blessings of obedience. Almost half of Jesus' parables were about money. Often your spiritual growth is tied to the attitude that you have about money. Now you think about it. You think about your life and as you go day by day, what is almost always the primary thing that's on your mind? And I have to say we'd all admit, it's money. We're always worried in some way or another, especially those that are in the middle income areas and maybe even that are poor, you worry about money. You think about it. God's telling you, you don't have to worry about that. You just bring me what I require. You're not going to be hurt by bringing an offering to the church. You're only going to hurt yourself. You're only going to cheat self when you don't give God what he requires. So God is looking at this. Is your attitude right about money? God's work is done by the faithfulness of his people to love him and to love his church and to love the souls of people. And that's demonstrated by a willingness to give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gives. God gave. Do you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have a serious topic before us today. One, as we've stated, is very near and dear to your own heart. We have so much in the Bible about money because, God, you know, Father, you know how much it consumes our lives. 
And if we're not willing to trust you with what you've given us, then we can't trust you with anything. Do we really have that gratitude and the love that ought to be in our hearts? You've given so much for us. How could we refuse to give you what you ask? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I hope that that's the attitude of every person in this church today. We love Jesus Christ. We have gratitude in our hearts. We have thankfulness in our hearts for what he did on the cross of Calvary. How can we not give what is asked? Help us to show that, Lord. Help us to have a concern for our church, for uh, what we do here, for our missionaries, for the souls of people. Help us to keep a church right here in Roner Park. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.